Hey everyone, here's another episode of Let's Cover That. I'm Will Sullivan. And I'm Antonina Agruza. And today we have with us Pete Riley of Hub International. Pete, we are so excited to have you here with us today. Oh, well, thank you. It's uh, great to be here. I love this kind of stuff and uh, should be fun. Awesome. Well, Pete is the North American Healthcare Practice Leader and Chief Sales Officer of Hub International. Pete, can you tell us a little bit about your background in healthcare and what led you to Hub International? Sure. Um, sad to, to date myself, but I started in the insurance business in 1988. Um, started out on the claim side of the insurance industry and found that I was really good at spending other people's money. So they quickly moved me out of that and found my way onto the insurance brokerage side, which was really, I thought, the most exciting part of our business. Uh, where we get to play the what-if game for our clients on, on any one of a number of issues. Really got into healthcare in late 1989, uh, putting my hand up in the middle of a, a meeting about who wanted to specialize in the healthcare industry. Uh, and did that because, uh, in part, healthcare, to me, is not only such a big part of our economy, both in the U.S. and Canada, really any part of uh, Western Europe, honestly, but because it's changing uh, in a very dynamic field, the way we practice medicine today is significantly different from how we did it even 10 years ago, let alone 30, and sort of fell into it in that respect. I joined Hub uh, just a little under two years ago, in part because while our industry has grown significantly in size and there are now some massive brokers who are of very high quality all over the world, uh, Hub has, a, I think, a pretty unique culture, a very entrepreneurial, very inquisitive, and really driven by you know, the, the term innovation and insurance don't often go together, uh, but really around finding solutions to the client's problems and making uh, the insurance fit the business rather than vice versa. And so working with a number of former friends uh, who had been with a prior firm at Johnson & Higgins, for those who've been around long enough to know what that firm was, um, they called and asked if I was interested. And after making several unreasonable demands, they met them. And so here I am. Uh, and really have been enjoying it a great deal. Awesome. Yeah, Pete, it, it's amazing having you on here, working with you through with, uh, Hub Healthcare at CMF Group. You're just you're an amazing resource and a great partner on the team. And what, one of the things I think is really interesting for us, kind of working with nurses, you know, for over 70 years now, and one of the questions I think is, you know, timely to ask you is, you know, we, we have the most recent Rodana Vaught case, which for everybody who's listening who hasn't heard about it, but it's a criminal action against her um, and taken up uh, most recently. She was working for Vanderbilt. But, I, you know, stepping away from the case per se, I think it's better to understand what are the implications from your perspective, not necessarily from insurance, but, you know, you have a risk management background, you have a healthcare background, you're working from everybody to small business groups to large health systems. What are the implications you see that this case has, not just nursing, but just the health system overall in our country? Well, I mean, it's a great question and one that's going to have lots of iterations, quite frankly, and we can peel back this onion in lots of ways. I think first and foremost, it's going to have a chilling effect primarily for nurses and, and other allied professionals um, because in an industry that has historically been very hierarchical, you know, when the doctor dictates what the course of treatment is going to be, it is then sort of dictated down and to be followed uh, very carefully. And if errors or mistakes are made 
within that process, it rises back up to that individual, the, the doctor, who has directed the care. And leaving aside some of the facts of this particular case, the, the criminal charges that were brought against this individual, I think, are going to bring about three pretty significant changes within really the course of treatment. And this is not very micro uh, in terms of the care. Number one, I think a lot of nurses are going to be suspect of what sort of backing they're going to get either from their medical doctor or their respective institution. Um, and that's tough because a significant majority of actual delivery of care in this country is made or brought about by nurses. So that's number one. Number two, I think it's going to bring about some concern on the part of nurses or other allied professionals to speak up when they've made a potential error, um, either uh, you know, from sheer bad luck uh, or, as in this case, uh, an individual overrode some protocols. But they were trying to do, I think, from what I know, uh, trying to provide care to the patient. Um, and so I think there's going to be a real concern of these individuals who then don't want to speak up. They're going to be afraid. And I think that's going to be concerning for uh, the providers and the institutions. And the third piece to this, and I haven't read too much about or heard too much about yet, and I'm certainly not implying I've thought of it first, but as patients learn about this case, they're going to worry that if a nurse or other allied professional makes a mistake, someone is going to know about it. And they may start down that slippery slope of having a bad outcome. And bad outcomes happen in medicine all the time. It's just the nature of the beast. But I think it could have a very chilling effect with the patients to say, hey, wait a minute, did they make a mistake? They're all of a sudden huddling around things. It, it's, it's going to raise doubt in the midst of an industry where we as the consumer, patient, really don't want that, especially when there's any serious, uh, you know, life-threatening disease, illness, or injury. And so I think you can even pull the threads on those respective uh, lines of thought, and it's going to have a, a chilling effect on how people trust medicine. I think that's probably the easiest way to sum it up. How much of it, when you when you think about this, Pete, you know, through your tenure, especially starting with the risk management piece, and you start to look backwards and you look at the Institute of Medicine, the IONMs, you know, to air as human, and just the genesis of risk management within healthcare, you know, really going from like airplanes into healthcare, broadening yeah. out the transparency within the health system, you know, to, to, to your second point, like the huddling of people getting together after errors intended or un unintended. I mean, how much of a chilling effect does it happen, have on, on that end of just saying, you know, do we feel comfortable you know, putting the provider at the center of the care and actually feeling like they can get it done without, you know, really terrible ramifications upon them personally on these things. So, you know, what, what do you see? Are, we've made this evolution and now we have this instance. Does that take mm -hmm. us back? And, you know, are people concerned about that? Yes. I, and, and, you know, th that's exactly right, Phil. Uh, Will, you said two things that I think were, were really important. Number one, Healthcare is like an airplane. You know, it's supposed to have a sort of a fail-safe system. It's supposed to be systemic and process-driven. And when that is deviated from, um, 
that there are potentially awful outcomes. It's easy to see when an airplane doesn't perform well and equally tragic. Uh, but I do think it, it, it takes us back that you're going to introduce doubt into a very inexact science, despite their incredible uh, advancements of medicine from you know simple take-home remedies to the most advanced uh, surgical care, you begin to introduce doubt to the entire doctor-patient relationship uh, and really provider-patient relationship because you have to include the allied professionals. And it would be somewhat akin to, you know, do you trust the pilot to fly the plane? And if you don't, are you going to get on that plane? And then the ripples that that has, if you're back to healthcare, if you're not going to get proper care for, uh, you know, disease or illness, you know, arthritis, something as simple as it can become debilitating and have much wider uh, impact into society, the economy, et cetera, et cetera. And, and while, you know, we as insurance professionals can protect against only a part of that and try to feed into the, the clinical efforts of risk management, you know, checklist uh, uh, culture, if you will, to make sure you've followed each particular procedure. If you've introduced doubt that, hey, someone could be fudging that particular checklist, I think it's going to uh, have potential ramifications, again, around that patient-provider relationship that is not good for either healthcare and certainly not the patients and society. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, Pete. Do you do you think that there are any solutions to kind of fill this gap or this void in the healthcare system? <laughs> oh, how much time do we have? Um, <laughs> and and. That's a, a, a really tough question, uh, Antonina, because I, I think it goes, again, in so many different directions. And I think what is so fascinating about the Vought case is you can go down the legal road, societal road, healthcare, it goes on and on and on, and certainly into you know, the finance of healthcare. Um, I think there's going to, I think there almost has to be because of this case somewhat of a return to uh, you know, a checklist culture that really cannot be deviated from in order to prevent this type of awful outcome. Even in the best of, of circumstances, some of the most gifted uh, medical providers in the world will go through all the right steps and, a, a, you know, again, checklist procedure while doing a, a surgery. And you can still have a bad outcome. You know, that's usually uh, healthcare risk management speak for patient died or you know there was some uh, unintended consequence and so I think you're likely to see a pushback or should I say a return to very rigid clinically driven checklists and I'm using that word intentionally that um, it, it, it becomes a, a very methodical approach to delivery of care that can sometimes be impersonal and so, again, I'm not sure the patients will always like that, but I can see that as an outcome because at least at the core of this particular case, you have a nurse who somehow circumvented those procedures, and therefore the reaction is going to be, how do you stop that? You make it unallowable. 
any unintended consequence of that is sometimes for uh, a medical provider, doctor, nurse, CNA, whomever they are, may need to do something outside of the norm to save a patient that they know is right, but it's not in the checklist. Um, there may be a reluctance to do that. But I think that return to a more systemic delivery of care uh, is likely to be one reaction, and I think it will be the most common reaction from both institutions and individuals. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting shift, especially for the culture perspective. Even though it's one case, you know, you you go from the shift in the culture of transparency and trust, which is really, you know, generating a culture like day to day with people having the autonomy to make decisions when they have to. That might yep. be outside of a driven checklist perspective. It's kind of command and control versus building the culture that you need to sustain appropriate quality of care, and it really like kind of starts to mix the two with a good pendulum effect, or I guess a, you know, a poor pendulum effect, so to speak. But hopefully we get back where we need to go on it. Um, kind of jumping, jumping from that, Pete, you know, and, and into your role within Hub Healthcare, I think it would be meaningful, you know, as we're kind of looking at the gaps within healthcare specifically, what, what do you see on the horizon for, for you and Hub Healthcare and what you guys have for major milestones or partnerships that you think would be exciting to know about? Well, you know, well, there's there's so much going on within the use of, of technologies, and you know, we still sit here in the midst of a you know global pandemic, um, which has created so many negative headlines and unnecessary I think political strife where it shouldn't have been. But I think on the flip side of that coin, we see, and one of the things we're very excited about uh, as we sit here as, as risk advisors is one, the increased use of you know virtual care telehealth, the digital technologies, you know, our ability to sit here and communicate over this podcast uh, in different parts of the country and effectively deliver information. Well, that same, you know, tool can be used in the delivery of, of most forms of healthcare, and having the technology keep up with that is going to be a lot of fun to watch because we are so much farther ahead than where we were again, even five years ago. Add to that, uh, rightly or wrongly, the speed with which we developed the various vaccines around coronavirus was absolutely remarkable. And give credit where credit is due. The way industry stepped up to embrace uh, the use of the MR, uh, mRNA technology was really uh, nothing short of unbelievable. While at the same time, having its roots in good old-fashioned you know, vaccine development, and that entire technology is, is remarkable. And now we're even, and I believe it's Pfizer that has, you know, a, a pill that you can take. And so in a very short period of time, and what really started in my mind was around, you know, March 13th or March 20th of 2020, to where we sit today, the delivery of effective medicines and care around a, you know, global pandemic is utterly astounding. And, and that's going to be exciting to watch because I think actually healthcare is having to, the delivery of healthcare is having to catch up with the technology because, you know, you hear the sad stories of vaccines expiring and no longer being usable. Well, we need to increase the willingness of patients to receive a vaccine. I know there's always going to be skeptics and, you know, some very justifiably so. Um, but the ability of society to accept, you know, 
what was once x-rays were, were thought to be fake and not real. And you know, all the things we now take for granted to see how this evolution is going to happen around the current world is, is going to be exciting and fun to watch. I also think we're going to see, um, and while the you know, Vought case is going to, I think, have some unintended consequences around those going into nursing, at least in the near term, we are seeing a greater delivery of care through, uh, you know, PAs and, you know, other healthcare professionals who can do a lot of the work, um, you know, the more fundamental clinical delivery of care that may not be needed in a doctor. That's going to open up a whole new field, I think, for uh, the specialization within uh, that particular world, and you guys know nurses uh, as well as I and all the classifications thereof, those are going to be a whole new body of knowledge to come of this, and we're going to refine that even further. And I think that's going to be good for a lot of rural communities. They're going to allow them to remain viable places to live and work, which I think may bring back, now hopping into healthcare economics, uh, potentially the ability of critical access hospitals or federally qualified health centers to deliver some, some solid care, and they already do, but I want you to do more effectively in those communities that desperately need it. And, and then lastly, um, I think one of the most interesting components that we're seeing in the healthcare finance world, and this is exclusive to the United States, is the move towards value-based care. And now that's a, we could do another you know, two-hour podcast on something like that. But that's going to raise a whole different, uh, not only financial pressure, but financial opportunity to improve the delivery of care and really take something in this awful case that happened in Tennessee and try to get out from under some of the pressures that I think healthcare delivery feels, that the fee-for-service that you have to deliver the medicine in order to get paid for it. It's going to take away some of that disincentive financially. You know, fee-for-service is great, but you have to deliver the service to get paid. Sometimes, and not saying it was in this case, but sometimes the best thing to do in medicine is to wait just a little longer and see and not be that rush to service. Value-based care, I think, is going to change the reimbursement model, but it's also going to change how physicians think about the delivery of care. Sorry about that. Hope you can edit out the phone. Yeah. <laughs> it is still a work office, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> so that's a, I mean, that's a, a long-winded um, answer, Will, to your question, because you can really run it in several different directions. And at least in my mind, a lot of what's on the horizon as a result of this case and the result of the pandemic, a result of the technologies are going to, I put them in sort of three general buckets you know, the financial side of it, certainly value-based care and how we're going to pay for medicine. The operational side of it, all the technologies and the vaccines and other med device that are going to allow for a better delivery of care. And then, you know, the strategic side being, can you have medical staff who do not have to be doctors per se, who can go out into the communities and deliver that care in an overall organizational structure that makes sense? And... Again, all of those, I think, are very interesting and complex questions. Uh, and then from a risk standpoint, again, I'm default. I am an insurance broker and risk advisor. What risks do those bring about that didn't exist 10 years ago? And we have to think about what may be there uh, in two to three years.
That is super insightful, Pete. And we really appreciate having you on the podcast today. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And sadly, I could probably go on, but there are time limitations for everybody. I think we might have to have another another uh, episode for value-based care, Pete. I think that's. Uh, I think you left us on the cliffhanger there. We, you know, we, should, we could get one, that one it. on the timeline. Thank you so much. And amazing work that you're doing, advising your clients across the country and and, uh, and in Canada as well. So thank you. Thanks to you both. This was good fun. And I hope everybody is uh, safe and uh, be well.